Redemption, Chapter 23, Clean Slate. On Tuesday afternoons, I took a graduate course called Psychopathology. The DSM acted as our textbook to teach each of us the nuances of diagnosing patients with a mental health disorder. Our light-hearted professor forewarned my classmates and I not to diagnose ourselves or others, but to only enjoy the class and learn the material. I did not have to worry about that. First of all, I had all of the prior diagnosis, clinical depression, schizophrenia, and schizoaffective disorder. A copy of Surviving Schizophrenia graced my bookshelf as a reminder of who or what I was or was not. I held onto some bitterness towards the psychology world. In my oversimplistic mindset, it seemed like the authors of the DSM overinterpreted people's pain without having dealt with inner torment themselves. But once again, I had to leave my opinion and heed to the thoughts of the professionals. Throughout the semester, I avoided participating in the classroom discussions, so I would end up drawing along the presentation slides that I printed out before class. Despite my efforts, I often found myself listening to my classmates inquire about how to handle someone's breakdown. I wished they could understand what hallucinations felt like, and maybe their questions wouldn't be so elementary. With my simple, silent wish, my professor had us watch A Beautiful Mind, a film I tried to avoid since its opening weekend back in 2001. The professor turned off the lights as the movie began. We skipped the first 20 minutes due to our class time restraints. My heartbeat quickened as we jumped right into the leading character storyline. Nash's connections between the government and university appeared seamless. He kept everyone at a distance from his private projects just as the people ordered. Until one day, a psychologist broke his alternative reality by telling him those very people did not actually exist. The psychologist empathetically explained to Nash's wife, imagine if you suddenly learned the people the places, the moments most important to you were not gone, not dead, but worse, had never been. What kind of hell would that be? With white knuckles, I gripped my legs in hope of finding stability. I rocked myself back and forth on the chair as my eyes started from the windows to the door, wondering if and when a demon would appear. It's only a movie. It's only a movie, I repeated to myself as the professor stopped the film and asked for feedback. Different classmates inquired how a professional should handle a person like, you know, the crazy ones. Distant memories popped up as I recalled sitting in Dr. Patel's office waiting to get my monthly dose of schizophrenia medication. My lack of emotions, the weight gain, and distancing friendships with nothing to hold on to. I glared at the professor as he graciously answered each question. I took deep breaths to ease myself from a meltdown until a classmate sarcastically asked, should we just entertain them? 
like what they believe in. I mean, come on, they are crazy. A slight chuckle followed her heartless remarks. That insensitive bitch. In anger, my fist slammed on the table. I stormed out of the classroom and slammed the door behind me. Fucking idiots. What does she mean, entertain their beliefs? Are we your entertainment? Did she believe these visuals were just fun and games? Tears began to roll down my face as I tried to call multiple people, hoping to ground my fleeing thoughts. With voicemail after voicemail, I threw my phone into the dirt and I fell on my knees and sobbed on a grassy field several blocks from the university. Oh God, please save me. I covered my head, seeking to regain a sense of where I was. I reassured myself Wade existed. Kentucky was my home, and the spiritual world was not make-believe. I patted my arms to gain some sense of composure. The movie triggered me. It will all be okay. I walked back into the classroom to finish the last 10 minutes of class. The professor restated our need to use sensitive terminology when discussing mental health issues and let us go. I gathered my belongings and left the classroom. I knew what was happening. I started to lose myself again. A week later, Andrew, a church friend, and I enjoyed a light dinner before making our way to attend a University of Kentucky basketball game. A bluegrass rite of passage. Basketball was Kentucky's religion, and now we became a part of it. Each year, hunters would camp out to get the best tickets to watch recent high school graduates play in this collegiate sport. In our city, only two colors existed, blue and white. I never understood people with a sports obsession, but basketball may be one of the few activities that unified the city and we had nothing else to do. Andrew and I ate overpriced gourmet tacos as we watched basketball fans walk by in their blue and white. He asked, how have you been doing, Nate? I don't know, man. The depression has to come back. I feel terrible, almost like last summer wants to repeat itself again. My unfiltered answer prompted Andrew to pray for me after a meal ended. His hand rested on my shoulder as he prayed. Internally, I told myself to reject any physical attraction towards him and just to receive his prayers. With my eyes closed, I took a deep breath in hopes to bring life. In doing so, I brought myself into another vision. With knees on the floor, I worship in the light like I had so many times before. I heard Andrew's words in the distance as I received the love he blessed me with. Lustful thoughts about Andrew mixed with the holy worship as self-hatred and confusion settled in. I did not want any of this. But still, Andrew's words echoed and faded in a distance as a small, dense, black man creeped in from behind me. He was masked. He crept his way out of the darkness and heading towards me. Distracted by my own confusion and unaware of his footsteps, the masked man got closer and closer and closer. He 
His hand slowly settled on my shoulder until I looked behind me. The fog quickened to engulf both the visitor and myself. The hand pulled me onto my back as the fog yanked me into the darkness. I screamed as loud as I could with my legs kicking in hopes of stopping their plans. The louder I kicked and screamed, the faster the darkness pulled me in until I disappeared. How do you feel now? I snapped back to the present reality as Andrew looked at me waiting for a reply. We should head to the game. I avoided his question altogether and got up from my seat. He followed behind me and we made our way through the white and blue apparel gracing Lexington streets. The energy could not be matched by any event or holiday I had experienced. People lived and died for this team. Old and young cheered as the players jogged in. People held onto each other waiting as each fast break occurred with a beautiful basket giving us two more points. The crowd erupted with praise and still, the enthusiastic atmosphere in the Coliseum could not override the darkness settling upon me. Andrew nudged me periodically, hoping to get me excited about the game. And with each nut, I nodded my head and clapped my hands, trying to be a part of the team. But I only wondered what the next few months would be like. I could not handle another summer like the previous. I also knew Wade could not handle that either, especially with being engaged. In desperation, I texted an older friend asking if I could stay out of his house for a few nights to clear my mind. Gratefully, I received confirmation texts just a few moments later. The basketball game ended. Andrew and I parted ways. I walked home to pack a few belongings, work clothes, and graduate work. Wade and I briefly spoke of the new hellish images racing through my mind and needing to another space to rest. Wade did not take offense to this. We hugged and I left. My friend's footsteps echoed on the first floor into the basement bedroom. I stared at the ceiling, questioning everything once again. It felt like a stronghold gripped my life. Every time I inched my way into freedom, a demon would grab me and yank me back 50 feet. Should I try to see another psychiatrist? I recalled a different psychologist telling me I did not look like someone who was schizophrenic, but could it be something else? I also did not want to be in a zombie-like state again, but visualizing bedsheets becoming a noose around my neck shouldn't be a way to end mental and physical pain. I desperately needed help. I texted Travis I would not be showing up for Saturday evening prayer meeting. I would be checking myself into the emergency room instead. I needed medication to help me save me from myself. I woke to vibrations on my bare chest and a daze. I haphazardly grabbed my cell phone and saw a text from Travis. And he said this. Nate, man, I'm so sorry. This is not right. Bro, you need to be here. The ER is not going to address what needs to be addressed. This is more important than work. You might have to call out for sickness. This sickness needs to be addressed and I have troops with me too. So in the name of Jesus, you need to come tonight.
I've seen creatures with three rows of teeth eat my body over a dozen times. Suicidal ideations have not stopped in over a decade. Sadness hovered over me like a dark cloud with so-called friends telling me that I had an Eeyore spirit. I questioned Travis' spiritual emergency plans. But in the midst of my questions, Travis set an additional text stating, if prayer does not help, then I will personally take you to the emergency room. Convinced by that second text, I messaged Travis that I would be on my way. I took a long shower seeking to wash away any deathly spirits. Shower water turned into blood and trickled down the drain. I smacked my face several times, hoping to bring myself back to reality. The blood water slowly turned clear again and I turned off the water. I toweled off, dressed, and made my way to the small town of Wilmore, Kentucky. The uneventful drive down the country highway turned into a ward zone as I approached a fork in the road. If I took a left turn, I could detour to a small bridge, step on the gas pedal, and hurl my car over a cliff and into the Kentucky River. I could end everything tonight. If I took a right turn, I can go to the prayer meeting. But first, I must drive through this demon's open mouth, a decorative entrance into this seemingly hellish town. Its brown stained teeth, a long tongue, piercing yellow eyes waited for my response. And with a quick, unconscious decision, I veer left into the spiritual war zone. My body temperature increased as anger entered my spirit. I hated this. I pulled into the quiet neighborhood and parked my car. I turned off the ignition to hear a rumbling coming from the outside. Rumbling music echoed through the street from that house. Is there a lot of people there? I questioned Andrew via text message. He replied simply, yes. Ugh, I did not want to be a spectacle for anyone to see. I drudged up the concrete steps and stopped at the wooden front door, the only barrier between myself and that holy ground. The cold doorknob sense shivers down my arm, matching my anxiety going into this meeting. I only need to last for a couple hours, then Travis can take me to the emergency department later that night. I just didn't want to be alone, so that's why I went. I opened the door to the upbeat worship music. The house shook with dancing, singing, and laughter of those inside the living room. A few familiar faces greeted me. I did not recognize the rest of them. Travis motioned for me to come sit next to him from across the room. I stepped over several people on the floor and moved around the people with their hands raised before standing next to him. He engulfed me in his arms and whispered, I'm glad you are here. Travis pulled up a metal chair for me to sit in. I checked the time on my phone, 11.30 p.m. Man, how long did I need to stay before going to the emergency department? I kicked my bag underneath the chair. I changed of clothes and a couple of books to make it through the hospital stay. For now, I stand stone cold through the spiritual meeting, and then Travis would take me to get some real help.
the worship music stop as a group transition to share what the Holy Spirit placed on their hearts. How cute of them to share their stories. Did they not see the beetle-like creatures, the vicious monsters or dragons? Each member of the dark side only waited for their time to rip us apart. Young female college students opened their journals to share their emotional response to the music. Others shared a vision or a word Jesus gave them. They all started to sound crazier than me. Maybe we should all head towards the emergency room together. The scripture reading bounced off my soul like a rainfall falling onto a metal roof. Nothing could penetrate this heart of mine. The name Jesus produced rage within my soul as I glared into their smiling faces. I hated that name. A sheer mention of his name twisted my current viewpoint to a homicidal battlefield. That God-man wanted to save me in Spain, in Costa Rica, in Canada, and now here? That God-man caused his angst I had against everyone here. Their sweet, innocent, tender words made me want to tear apart their journals and spit in their faces. I imagined snapping their necks with my bare hands. I released a barbaric scream as I used their Bibles as weapons to smash their heads in. In my mind's eye, the metal folding chairs became weapons as I beat Travis to death. Not even the power of 30 men could hold me back. I could kill every last one of them. I used to enjoy this particular prayer circle, but now I hated their joy. Why do they have to keep saying that name? That name Jesus drove me mad. That name felt like a poison to my bitter soul. I took a large gulp of water from a water bottle to ease my inner rage. I hated all of these bastards. I didn't need an emergency visit. I grew ready for my homicidal rampage. I needed this meeting to end and they all needed to die. I snuck by a dozen people to get to the bathroom. I cupped water into the palms of my hands then splashed it into my face to regain a sense of where I was. A blank stare in the mirror attempted to change my emotions from homicidal to neutral thinking. I kept my composure and held in both tears and rage. I have made it through a time like this before. I have never hurt a man, but tonight I grew ready to. From across the packed living room, Andrew gave me a half smile as I went back to the metal folding chair. The seat's cold temperature comforted my matching cold spirit. I loathe the warm joy the others tried to share. With each new testimony, I looked down, resisting the urge to perform the murderous visions I had in mind. My fingers tapped on the cell phone screen. I don't want to be here. Andrew's hand reached into his coat pocket to respond to his cell phone buzzing. We made eye contact as my lips pinched together waiting for his response. I'm glad you are, reassured Andrew. Finally, at roughly half past midnight, we transitioned to our last segment. The living room occupants broke into groups of five or six to pray for one another. Travis sat across from me with excitement. 
whose passionate smile enraged my soul. Every part of Travis represented it, disgusted me. I hated his spirit, this community, and especially their Jesus. Fire could have exhaled through my nostrils as my breasts deepened with fury. Another student joined the group in search of prayer. My group pulled in their chairs to make a circle, and I consciously slid mine back to make it clear that I would not be participating. This godman they spoke of is dead. Andrew and my other friends left the service shortly after the praying began. Now, the only person I knew was Travis. At their departure, Travis announced a transition from praying for the other student to praying for me. I glared at Travis and secretly wished I drove into the Kentucky River before coming to this service. Our relationship began with our similar gifting, but now I started to believe Travis had a mental health illness of his own. I could not be on this unsteady, emotional, spiritual roller coaster much longer. Reluctantly, I agreed to let them pray for me. I guess this is the reason why I came. Travis asked if I could pull my chair in. With annoyance, I pulled my chair forward an inch and stopped. He only smiled and asked, Do you want me to tell the others what is going on? No, because I will cry. I answered with honesty. I traced the edges of the kitchen's white tiles with my eyes waiting for a response. I finally looked up to see Travis staring at me with a smile and stated, Okay. I looked across the living room space to see no one looking at us but our group of five. Shame overtook me as I did not understand the combination of rage, depression, and confusion inside my soul. Travis began to pray as others rested their hands on me. My body tensed with internal anguish as her physical touch sparked self-hatred into my soul. There is not a single reason to love or care for me. Attention from strangers made me highly uncomfortable. Didn't they know God would fail again? I withheld temptation to wrestle each of them to the ground and punch their faces in. Instead, I pushed my chair back trying to resist their prayers. I did not want to be touched. They did not know what I could do. I did not want to be touched. Oh God, please let someone hold me. I'm scared, but I want to kill them all. My mind wrestled with conflicting feelings of wanting help and wanting to kill. I tried to restrict my increasing homicidal ideations as their prayers flowed over me. It felt like time lapsed into a space in which none of us operated. Without warning, I somehow ended up on the floor crying in the fetal position. I tried to make sense of all the visions I saw as the room simultaneously prayed over me with greater power. I stood to attention in my newly polished armor, the breastplate, belt, shoes, and other pieces sparkled with light, piercing the darkness ahead, but my helmet looked quite strange. I swiped my finger across the helmet only to get minimum amount of dust off. 
the fool's gold twinkled in the light announcing its misconception for the others to see. I found my own salvation in my own self-preservation. This was not the helmet that the king had assigned for me. Take it off, echoed the voice. The gentle command sounded familiar like when Jesus placed a helmet on my head. I must have traded out the real one for this one somewhere along the way. It was him. I slid the dagger into the right belt loop. I grabbed my shield and walked into the open desert as a gentle voice directed me. I stopped at the king's command. Within the moment, the earth shook, causing the terrain in front of me to split open. I took my helmet off and I threw it into the abyss. It won't ever come back, Nate. In victory, the helmet bounced off the cliff and echoed until the ground shook once more. At the voice's command, the land pulled back together. The ground smoothed over as if the earthquake never occurred. Instantly, grass began to grow over the desert floor and the most beautiful flowers Shades of lavender, rose, and teal grew alongside the previous fault line. I took a step back to leave, but almost tripped over something beneath my feet. A shiny new helmet waited for me. This is yours. Put it on, stated the godman. In awe of the helmet's golden glow, I held it at a distance to admire its beauty. I could not believe this was for me. As commanded, I put the helmet on. This helmet of salvation marked my new identity. And with guided instructions, I marched through the field and into a forest of new adventures. My spirit fluttered with new joy as I listened to the prayers covering over me. Prophetic words broke all of my emotional, spiritual, and psychological barriers. Generational curses broke from centuries ago. Unknown languages rushed over me as another person interpreted for me with ease. I opened my eyes since laying on the floor. I looked to see over 20 people worshiping and spinning and singing on top of their lungs. They changed the lyrics of a United Pursuit song to set a fire in Nate's soul that he can't contain, that he can't control. The lyrics subsided as a chant broke out in the living room. Clean slate, clean Nate. Clean slate, clean Nate. The chanting continued as I positioned myself next to Travis's feet, confessing a lack of faith I held on to. One by one, each person walking up to me, speaking encouragement into my life. Wild at heart, wind flowing through you, a release of a black ring on your heart and replaced by a ring of life, future family, warrior, and other prophetic statements I could not remember. The atmosphere settled into a small, joyful hum as I gained strength to pull myself back onto the chair I fell from. Travis sat next to me, rocking himself back and forth to the songs being sung. People smiled with wonder and gratefulness for the healing taking place. A young woman, whom I never met, knelt next to my chair to tell me a simple story. I had a vision last night. A green hand, one similar to the Grinch, 
held onto a human heart. The green hand's grip got tighter and tighter as the heart began to lose its beats, slowly losing any life the heart sought to keep. Tonight, I saw the same heart again with the same green hand suffocating the life out of it. The thin fingers were unwilling to let go of the almost lifeless heart. I watched as her smile grew with anticipation and she continued. Then, I saw God's hand come and release one finger at a time. Once the fingers were completely released, God took the heart and held it in his hands. Christ's blood flowed through it. The revived heart began to faintly beat until it grew strength. The vulnerable heart felt exposed but was placed in good hands. The heart continued to grow stronger. I know the visions were meant for you. I want to encourage you that his blood is rushing through your heart right now. I nodded as tears flowed knowing how vulnerable this experience was. I finally felt safe. Travis and I talked about what happened. In the six years we have done this, this is the longest and most intense we have ever prayed for someone. It is ridiculous how long you have been beaten down and dragged through darkness by the demonic. Some of it may be your fault, but a lot of it was not. It was obvious something had a hold of you. You needed to be prayed over. It had to be broken through. A bucket of water was drawn from the kitchen sink as Travis knelt down to wash my feet. He whispered prophetic words in a spiritual language and I watched the dirt and sweat being cleansed from my feet. Tears trickled down as I watched a man of respect clean me. Murmurs of clean slate, clean nate continued in the background from others. Travis took a towel and dried my feet. We hugged each other as we looked over to read the kitchen oven's clock, 3 a.m. Time disappeared and within numerous visions I had, songs that were sung and tears freely shed. Travis warned me to be prepared for the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. I had all the tools I needed. He reminded me again to keep my mind captive, press into the word, and use scripture to fight the darkness. I needed to be careful with my eyes both in the physical and spiritual world. You're a warrior proclaimed Travis. I nodded my head. I grabbed my belongings and left the living room at 3.30 in the morning. The others unconsciously lined up in a half circle to say their goodbyes. Unable to come up with any words, I looked around and uttered a small thank you and exited the worship circle. Thank you.